Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Madeline Miller studied classics and taught Latin and Greek while writing her first novel, The Song of Achilles, which explores the relationship between that great warrior and Patroclus, who, as Homer tells us in the Iliad, accompanied him to Troy and was killed by Hector, setting off the events that led to the fall of Troy. Her second novel, Circe, deals with another Homeric character, who's also appeared in Ovid and other later classical stories, this time from the Odyssey. Circe is a mysterious witch goddess who turns Odysseus's men to swine, but then lives with him for a year and gives him invaluable help. Madeline Miller has inhabited Circe and given us her story, and she joined us to talk about witches, women, and who owns the narrative. Madeline, thank you for talking to us. Can I start with what sounds like a simple question, and I'm sure it isn't, and you'll tell me that it isn't. Is Circe the first witch? Yes, she's the first witch in Western literature, although um, that's just in the, in literature. I'm sure that you know there have been women who have been called witches for centuries, probably going all the way back um, as far as as far as recorded history. Uh, as I started looking into what it meant to be a witch and exploring Circe and her witchcraft and how she relates to the history of of witches, um, what I have come to really believe is that the word witch is what we call a woman who has more power than we think she should have. So I think that is eternal um, because there have always been powerful women and always been people telling them that they can't have that power. Yes, um, and she, she, but she is powerful. Well, she's powerful in all sorts of ways, isn't she? But one of the sources of her power comes from not magic. So, well, it is magic, but, it, but it's also of her own making. She's very, it doesn't just come to her from the sky. She has to work at it. She works out how to use it, and she, she uses herbs and she, she does it herself as it were yes and that was one of the things that I loved about her witchcraft is that you know she's born a goddess um, so she has some very very minor divine powers um, she's the she's a nymph so she's the lowest of the low in the ancient Greek hierarchy uh, barely really any any power there. But her witchcraft is very powerful, and it's all things that she does herself. She learns how to do. So it's the skill with the herbs, as you said, with poisons. Um, she has a kind of a, an ability with animals as well. Um, and I loved the fact that it was something that she created. She wills into being. It's not something she's born with. It's something that she chooses to, chooses to make. Sorry. Yeah. And I, I was also struck by the fact that, that she has to work quite hard at it. And she gets it wrong 
I mean, in the beginning, she certainly she gets it wrong. She has to work it out. The stuff doesn't work. She has to, she she she. Um, it it becomes a profession. Yes, exactly. Um, one of the fascinating details that Homer gives us about Circe in the Odyssey is that she's the dread goddess or the terrifying goddess who speaks like a mortal, um, and that was a fascinating way in for me because what it implied to me is that she sort of has one foot in the world of the gods and one foot in the world of humanity um, and so I was interested in that conflict and I think she spends a lot of the book kind of negotiating what does it mean to be a god and what does it mean to be um, human or a mortal and I think that hard work is actually one of the great virtues that she learns from humanity um, gods of course particularly the Greek gods don't have to work for anything. Everything they want just comes at a snap. And, you know, they're very selfish and very self-involved, and they want what they want when they want it immediately. Um, they're a little, a little bit like toddlers, actually. Uh, and she instead goes this other route where she really hones a craft and she comes to feel that there is um, real value and virtue in working at something and failing and trying again and trying again. And that's just one of the ways that she differentiates herself from from the other gods, it seems. Now, the, your first book, The Song of Achilles, is about one of the most famous heroes of all, and we all think we know all about him. Um, and, and it is necessarily a very male story. It's just full of blokes fighting and just <laughs> doing all sorts of things. Um, and it re reminded me of, of Mary Reno's work quite a lot, which I mean as a great, great compliment, because she's wonderful, I think. I take it as well. <laughs> Good. Um, and... I suppose the main, or not not the only female figure, but the main female figure there was Achilles' mother, Thetis, who was also uh, a nymph. Was it, I'm just wondering whether it was a conscious decision to focus on a woman this time, or did it come because you were interested in nymphs, because you were writing about Thetis, or was it something else? It was some of both. Um, I absolutely think that uh, working with the character of Thetis, who was one of my favorite characters to write and to explore, even though she's the antagonist for much of the book, I never saw her as a villain at all. Um, I actually found her very sympathetic. Um, and sort of she flows right into Circe because they are both nymphs. They're both these lesser, lesser goddesses. Um, and those lesser goddesses in ancient Greek myth were pretty much, they were pawns or they were prey. And, you know, even though they had this divine power, they weren't really able to control their own destiny. They were constantly being, you know, abused or passed around. And Thetis spends the entire novel working so hard to save her son's life, and she can't. She just can't. And so I wanted to look at that from, from sort of a similar perspective, um, but with this added witchcraft element and very very deliberately I wanted to give voice to a female character you know when you've been studying these texts for a long time and working with them of course you can't help but notice um, that all the composers and writers of these wonderful ancient texts with very few exceptions are men and the protagonists are often men as well and so I knew when it came time for the second novel I really wanted to give voice to a woman and there was never any question it was it was always Circe. <laughs> Um, yes, and that actually ties into another thing I was going to ask about. She, within the book, because it's narrated in, in, in her voice, um, and, and within the book, she doesn't go on about it, but she takes a pretty dim view of poets, mm -hmm. particularly Homer, we assume, because there's a kind of sideswipe. <laughs> well, actually, not a sideswipe. I think it's a very important line, but she deals with it very... She deals with him very quickly, and, and well, I'll let you say what she says. Um, and, but but she's, she's very scathing of the tradition that is handed down and the way the poets have 
interpreted her story and you must think by extension all the stories can you explain why she's so scathing about it well what i what i wanted to do in terms of of the relationship to homer is um when i come to the section where she meets odysseus i i actually follow homer fairly closely but i wanted there to be uh, i wanted the camera to always be on cersei um, and focused on her experience of it and i so i wanted her to push back a little bit against homer and say yes i understand that's the male heroic tradition that's what gets written in the history books but here's what didn't get recorded and you know i have a perspective on this too and here's my version um, so i wanted that to be very deliberate uh, she pushes back against Ovid as well. There's a whole chunk that I was in, that was inspired by Ovid where I, you know, really said as much as I love Ovid, uh, his his take on Circe, he's very interested in her power of transformation, of course. He loves to write about transformations. This is all in the metamorphoses. Um, and he's very interested in her power, but he also makes her, I think, a, a little bit of a stereotypical shallow figure who's kind of always falling in love with the wrong man. Then she gets angry and she transforms him into something, you know, because she's sort of the vengeful, irrational woman. Um, and so I wanted, again, to, to kind of push back and, and play with that and say, you know, yes, let's, let's have her make the horrendous mistake that she makes in Ovid, where she transforms someone into a monster, um, but let's have her really live with those consequences and let's give her a little bit of a more psychological uh, way into that mistake as opposed to just a fit of, you know, irrational peak. Um, as well as, I, as all that, I think what Homer is doing with her um, is very interesting and very complex. So when I first read the Odyssey way back, I had had it read to me when I was quite young, but my first memory of Circe in it, um, I was 13 years old and I was reading it for a class. I was so excited. I could not have been more thrilled to have my own copy of the translation. And, you know, I was highlighting and making all kinds of notes. And it came to the Circe section. Odysseus arrives on the island. He's exhausted. Um, and he's lost 11 of his ships. He's seen his men eaten by the Cyclops. He's just in a, a terrible state. And he goes towards this encounter with Circe. His men go up to meet her. She transforms them into pigs. Now he has to go up and deal with this. Hermes kind of, again, builds up the suspense. Hermes says, you know, she's really quite a witch. I'm going to give you this herb that will make you immune to her spells. And then they meet. And at this point, I just remember being so excited as a 13-year-old because there are so few female characters like Circe mm -hmm. in the ancient mythology yeah. who have power and independence, who even seem to frighten the gods and are not punished for it um, immediately. Mm. So... I was thinking, here's this wonderful confrontation, these two very clever people who are both strong. There's going to be a real battle of wits. Um, but what actually happens in the scene is that she tries to use her powers on him. They don't work. And he pulls out his sword and threatens her. Um, and she screams, falls to her knees, begs for mercy, and it's over. Um, and I just, you know, even my 13 year the phallic symbol is so obvious, even my 13-year-old self could pick <laughs> up on it. Um, it's, you know, the, the male, the man pulls out his sword and she literally has to go to her knees. Um, and I just remember this profound feeling of frustration back then that, you know, she had to get out of the way of the male's, male hero's story. Um, 
and that of course it is Odysseus's story and she is the obstacle and that's part of what happens you know you have to encounter these obstacles and, and overcome them but um, I just I really wanted to just keep the camera on her a little bit longer and so I think that feeling that reaction when I was quite young you know I didn't know it was going to turn into this but I, I, I do think that that was a piece of it um, but I also want to acknowledge that that is not all that Homer is doing you know yes the the woman who is powerful, who threatens Odysseus, does have to be contained, tamed, put in her place. But Circe does not lose all her power. Homer is very careful to show us that she um, still is very witchy, very wise. She's the one who um, tells Odysseus how to get past all the monsters, the sirens, Skill and Charybdis. She tells him how to communicate with the spirits of the dead. He has to go speak to the dead prophet Tiresias, and she's, you know, literally giving him the dimensions of the pit that he has mm. to pour the libations in. Mm. So she still has that um, really uncanny wisdom and understanding which she shares with him. And at the end of the year that he spends with her, where he really heals and recovers himself, he doesn't want to leave. And his men have to really say, you know, Odysseus, it's, it's time to go. And so he goes to her and says, okay, I need to leave. And she sends him on his way with all the help he can possibly imagine. Mm. Um, so that was interesting, too, that she's, she's, she's remembered for turning men to pigs and for sort of hating men and is the seductress. But she's actually one of the most helpful women that he encounters, one of the most helpful deities that he encounters, period, male or female. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. He couldn't carry on without her. Can he? he wouldn't be able to, to, to carry on and eventually to get home without her help. 
And she doesn't ask anything right. of him after the, 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 the first point. The, the, the other thing that, that, that you do as well is, as you were saying, it seems to me you give context to that thing where you're told that there is a, there's, a, there's a goddess and she's turned all his men into pigs and there seems to be, there's no reason for this. It's just kind of bonkers thing that she does. It's like, why would she do that? Um, and actually, and you give a very, you, I mean, you don't need to say what it is if you don't want to talk about the story too much, but you give a very powerful context to that so that she's not just an irrational kind of balmy woman who you know does things at a whim well exactly and that was incredibly important to me as well because that's the central mystery of her character in homer is why is she doing this how do you come to do this and homer doesn't tell us and odysseus doesn't ask her which i think is a, a notable uh you know for the man who's so curious he's he's not interested or he thinks he knows um exactly as you say, that she's just irrational, this is something that she just does because she's cruel or who knows why, but I, I believe that people have reasons for what they do, um, even if they're you know, challenging to understand, but I, I think oftentimes once we understand other people's reasons, they make a lot of sense. Um, and so I wanted to give her a reason that made sense and, and that full psychological profile, that really three-dimensional personality um, that I think everyone has. Mm. And um, and and I was thinking of the 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 voice that that you that you use that she has actually at, after the first three lines you don't think you're using a voice that's just her voice because you're reading it and and she's telling you what's happening. I was it's, it seemed to me that that was a difficult um, that's a difficult thing to do because you, they have to, she has to be she has to be both godlike and human so she has to be untouchable and divine and sort of rather solemn. But she also has to be immortal. Was it difficult to find her voice? It was, um, and it, it was a very intuitive process. I take a long time to write my novels. Song of Achilles was 10 years. This was seven. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, the first five years for both of them, it was just me muddling around writing pages and throwing them out and writing them and throwing them out. I probably, you know, wrote a thousand pages of Circe that all ended up in the garbage um, because what I'm trying to do is write my way into the character and really hear that voice in an organic way in my mind. Um, now I can articulate what I wanted from that voice, but at the time it's all just, you know, I'm listening for something that's going to sound right where um, I have a background in theater, so it's as if she is delivering her life story to me and I can really truly hear it. Mm. Uh, what I wanted was a, a directness and an honestness to her voice, which I think she is a very direct and honest person. Um, but also with this slight oddness that might come from how you might speak if you are centuries old, <laughs> um, and also a divinity. And I wanted there to be a, a little bit of that epic grandeur to it. Um, you know, with Song of Achilles, I felt like I was taking an epic story and making it very intimate and lyric, telling it from that perspective, um, from the perspective of, you know, a, a love story mm. in this world of, of epic adventure. Um, and with this, I, I feel that women's lives have not traditionally been allowed to be epic. You know, the, the traditional subjects of epic are you know, war, which is a traditionally male thing, and, you know, men's lives. And so I, I really wanted to, to give her that epic scope and, and epic stature. Um, 
and, and to set her life at the center of the epic as opposed to Odysseus's life. Uh, and part of that, aside from the voice, was also making sure that I look at the rest of her life. So she appears in kind of two plus books of the Odyssey. Um, so I held Odysseus to two plus chapters of this novel. I, I didn't want him to take over everyone loves Odysseus, but he's had a lot of airtime over the years. Uh, and so with Circe, I wanted to make sure that she had, um, you know, she had a history and a backstory and she had a life beyond Odysseus after. And it turns out that's quite easy to do because she has this whole backstory already built into the mythology. She's the daughter of the sun god Helios. She's the aunt of the Minotaur and Medea and Ariadne. She's a cousin to Prometheus and pretty much every other notable Titan divinity you can imagine. So it's all in there already. Um, and it was just sort of bringing that out and allowing her to stand at the center. Yeah, and I, I'm, uh, I was interested to see how you um, how you did that and which variants you used. So, so as you say, you stuck. So the bit that we think we all know is is the bit from the the Odyssey, and I guess maybe the bit about Scylla. Um, but there are there's stuff that happens later, which is much less well known. And how did you decide? which bits to keep and which bits to change. I mean, it's, you're allowed to have variants, aren't you? Yeah. M- myths are allowed to have variants, so you can do what you want. How did you, because you didn't keep everything, did you? No, w- w- how did you decide what to keep and what to change? I always wanted to make sure that the choices I made for the mythology, and thank goodness, by the way, that there is no such thing as an objective myth and that there are lots of variants. And so, you know, I can choose and and follow where I feel like the, the most important pieces are and, and the parts that I'm most passionate about are. So some of it came from, you know, what were the pieces that really spoke to me? Um, but I always want to make sure that I'm serving the character. And so I mentioned that Ovid loves her because of all these transformations she can do. Um, I thought one Ovid story was probably enough. We didn't need to get into her turning men into woodpeckers as well. Um, but uh, what you're referencing is is a, a myth that comes in later, which is the Telegony. We don't have the whole thing. It was another epic story like the Iliad and the Odyssey, but we really only have a summary of it. Mm. Um, and in this, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it's, you know, does it count as a spoiler if the myth is 3,000 years old? <laughs> um, what happens in the Telegony is that she has a son with Odysseus, whose name is Telegonus, and he grows up on the island with this witch mother, and he's a demigod like Achilles, um, half god, half mortal, and then he wants to go off and find his father, and there's sort of this whole piece that happens where he finds his father, he meets Penelope and Telemachus, and it actually brings Penelope back into Circe's story. Um, Now, if you have the chance to write Penelope as an author, I feel like you have to take it. Uh, So she was, I loved that she was waiting for me at the end of the novel, that was really, and, and these two very powerful, very interesting and complex and smart women we're going to meet. Um, So that was very exciting. But I do change the telegony a little bit. Um, The the telegony ties things up in in a bit of a bow, uh, and that's never interesting to me because I think life is complex. And, you know, there is no happily ever after, but there are sort of the the place and the home that we make for ourselves. Um, so instead, I, I kind of detoured out of the Telegony um, into the fact that uh, the Romans gave Telegonus credit for founding Tusculum. So and you know other cities in Italy. So I sort of went with that went with that version. And you know it's a very again a very intuitive process, sort of figuring out what are the moments that that speak to me. Um, and sometimes it's very odd moments that just feels so important. Uh, One of the details 
from that part of the myth is that when Telegonus goes off to meet his father for the first time as a young man, Circe is anxious about sending him into the world, so she equips him with a stingray um, tail spear. What a fast... That detail just really stuck with me. That is, you know, that is the the son of a witch. That's the weapon you have if you're the son of a witch. Um, And how she got that spear and how she worked with it, that ended up becoming actually a very important episode for me in in the novel out of just that one minor detail. So I... I just let let these moments expand or contract depending on on how they inspire me and how I feel like they support the character's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say there's there's a lot of well-known people in there, and you say you got the chance to to write about Penelope, and it is wonderful when she turns up and you go, oh, okay, now says she's <laughs> going to meet Penelope. How's that going to go? <laughs> um, and there are there are moments like that throughout when there are names that we know. And you kind of know what's going to happen, but you don't always talk about it. And they're really, they're little kind of like, kind of thrill points in the book because she says, uh, someone com- comes up to, to take her to go and see the, to go and deal with her sister and the Minotaur. And he says, I'm Daedalus. And you go, okay. <laughs> and then, um, and there was a couple of points later where, where, where um, it's very, um, I think it's very thrilling when that she gets people come to her her island, and we don't know who they are. She's they're supplicants, but then later on, she finds their name and they say we're Jason and Medea, and you go okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't go into that. You just you you just let that there, and as you say, she's she's intimately sort of woven into all of these stories, and 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 you get the feeling you could have gone off that way as well that she's in the middle of all of this stuff and yet she and she's very powerful within it. Yes, well and that, you know, a lot of that structure was already there for me. The the Medea and Jason episode is is one where again I'm following very closely an ancient myth. Mm-hmm. Um in the Argonautica they really do show up on her island and um, they're looking for a purification because Medea has just murdered her brother, chopped mm-hmm. him into pieces, and thrown him over the side to stall her father. So he has to stop and pick up the pieces um, so she and Jason can get away with the fleece. Uh, so again, a fascinating moment to run into Cersei. Um, so they go to Cersei because she knows Cersei is her aunt and she thinks Cersei will help her, particularly if she conceals who she is and kind of, you know, uh, what's going on. And so that was fascinating. Another really strong, complex woman from Greek mythology. Mm. You know, the the two famous witches meeting each other face to face, aunt yeah. and niece, um, and and at a very interesting kind of early moment in Medea's story. Before we get to the child killing and the <laughs> and and all that um, that comes later. So I I wanted very much the opportunity to not only make Cersei three-dimensional and fully realized, but to really invest all the side characters and, and all the lesser characters with that same, you know, strong motivation, whatever their their backstory is. Um, and Daedalus, in particular, was a figure I loved writing about because I think he and Cersei are just on opposite sides of the same line. So she is this goddess who has this attraction to mortality and and this work ethic that's mm. very different from what the gods normally have. She's she's definitely an outlier. And he is this mortal who has almost godlike powers to, to create and to make art. Um, and the gods are very drawn to him, so he's kind of surrounded by gods who, who love excellence in every form um, and things that are extraordinary. You know, 
in, either in a good way or kind of as part of their collection mm-hmm. <laughs> of excellences. Um, and so, so I feel like she and Daedalus really had, a, had in a way, a lot in common because um, they're just, they're both outliers for, you know, the places mm. that they're born into, and, and they both really appreciate that craft and that hard work. Mm. So he was a he was a character that I knew was going to be part of the whole Crete section where she goes to Crete, and, you know, by the way, again, if you have the opportunity to write a Minotaur birth scene, I think as an author you have to take it. So I did. <laughs> um, but knowing Daedalus really uh, was one of those characters that just kind of kept expanding as I got to his section, and um, I just I, I really wanted to look at him not just as a father of Icarus, that of course is such a tragic story, and you know I do bring that in, but but what it was like for him as a man to live, you know as he did and to have him interact with Cersei and, and all the people around him and you know he's held prisoner on Crete pretty much by King Minos and the Queen um, so I think that resonates with Cersei too who very much feels like a prisoner for a lot of her life mm-hmm. and he's also a, a good illustration of the fact that if you do get the favor of the gods it is by no means necessarily a good thing exactly. <laughs> if you attract their attention because you're good at something you better watch it because it's not going to go the way you want it and and that happens throughout doesn't it one of the things i was interested in looking at in this novel is people who are incredibly powerful and the abuse of that power. Cersei experiences it as a woman and as a lesser nymph, but it's not just women who experience it in this world. Um, The gods abuse everybody (laughs) with their power, and and so I was interested in, is it possible to have power and not to abuse it? Um, What does it mean to have power? Is there a way, you know, do those things, do abuse and power always go hand in hand? Is there a way to carve out strength and, and a place for yourself without going in that direction? So that was something that the characters struggle with and Cersei struggles with throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. On that point about power, there was one more question I wanted to ask about that. The, as you say, the nymphs are appallingly treated. They're uh, kind of trampled over, ignored, sexually abused, taken for granted, all sorts of things. And um, you, you you don't draw out any parallels you don't spell any of, of it out but there are you know there are obvious parallels with the way a lot of people are still treated was this uppermost in your mind were you thinking about this explicitly or you were just writing what you're writing and you look at it and go oh gosh look at that well I have always believed very strongly that these ancient myths absolutely speak to our modern times because I think what they what they're really about is human nature and you know for all that culture has changed human nature has not changed and unfortunately women are still being punished for power kept from the halls of power silenced you know, sexually abused, um, that all these things are also timeless. I think we've made some wonderful strides, but I think we still have a long way to go. So I, I wanted to very much speak to women's experience, or this woman's experience, which I did think in some ways would resonate just because I think these myths resonate throughout time. Um, But I will tell you that when I started it seven years ago, um, I had no idea that we would be at the moment we are right now, Mm. and that I was in the final round of edits as a lot of the news stories were breaking about, you know, Harvey Weinstein and and so many other figures, um, and women were starting to really tell their stories. And it was just, it was a very eerie experience to be hearing that and working on these scenes that were about those exact things, you know, just giving them the final 
changing comma polish. Um, and in case I, I ever had any doubts that the ancient myths were relevant, you know, this really drove the point home. We are still the same. Well, it's a wonderful read. And thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.